Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Morning. Well, that was a bit flat, wasn't it? Morning. Not what anybody wants to wake up to. I'm talking to you like you're listening in the morning. Well, it's morning for me. That's all I can tell you. I've woken up, um, so far so good, with a spring in my step. And I'm actually just still slightly setting up my bits and bobs for this here podcast recording. um, Because I've got to plug in. Have you heard that noise? I've got to plug in my Zoom recorder. Because we can't have... Another Russell T. Davies situation, can we? Remember when the recorder broke during the interview? Uh, that was some time ago. That was one for the for the diehard fans. Now, I'm plugging it in. I'm trying to plug it in. But of course, because the rules of physics and space want to deny me, where I'm plugging, the plug doesn't fit. Hmm, this is an interesting conundrum. Let's have a look under the chair. This is why you listen to podcasts, isn't it, listeners? Try and hear podcast hosts trying to work out how to plug in their recorder. Not for the scintillating interviews, for the incisive questions. Beautiful portraits of lives well-lived. It's the tech. It's the plumbing. Um, okay, there's a cupboard. There's a plug. How are you all, listeners? I've woken up bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I'm transmitting to you from my morning poured a coffee. The eagle-eyed among you will probably notice I've had some already, given my chatty nature. And I'm very excited about today's episode. We've got Roisin Murphy on the show. Roisin is a super-duper singer-songwriter. She started out in Maloko, and they did that song, The Time Is Now, which had the most amazing video. It was all her in slow motion as she sang on a microphone with the band behind her. That was my induction to her and Maloko, age 14, on MTV. Then they did songs like Sing It Back, which was a huge hit all over the world, I think. And then she went solo and she's done amazing stuff. And always in a very directional fashion look. Uh, She's a fashion icon in many ways. She goes to the Met Ball. Hello, that's a fashion icon from where I'm standing. I go to the farm shop, if I'm lucky. She's our guest today. We're very thrilled to have her. She is so fascinating about the gay scene in Manchester and how she feels that her music is so informed by the queer scene and how people on that scene taught her about the history of disco and the importance of queerness in music. It's a fascinating chat full of amazing Roisin stories because she has lived. Puff Daddy's involved, that's all I'm going to say. 
Anna Wintour, editor of Vogue, for anyone who doesn't know. It's a barnstormer. So it's a great chat. That's coming up. But first, did you listen to our interview with Michael Cashman last week? Thank you, everybody, for sending a deluge of messages about how much you loved it. I'm so pleased that it connected with you all because he's a really important man who sometimes we have a thing where if people have done a lot of different things, it almost sort of slightly disappears and you kind of go, I'm not quite sure what they do. Michael has achieved, you know, superstar status in three jobs, you know, activism, politics and acting. It's uh, it's a pleasure to speak to him and hear about his life and how honest he was about things like his past and, you know, very candid about abuse in a way that can help people, one hopes, and I know that's why he does it. And the clip about him talking about Stonewall and trans rights, a lot of you responded to, which is really great. So thank you. If you haven't heard it, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts or any of your fa- any of your favourite podcast providers. Let us know what you think. It's hello at homosapienspodcast.com. And you can get in touch or follow us at Homo Sapiens on Instagram. It's really good Instagram. It's this whole thing. People take pictures, share them, get involved. It's very new. Uh, Facebook at Homo Sapiens Podcast. We're not on TikTok. I'm sure we'll do it at some point. I'll dance. Um, as you know, we love a rate and review. And if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, you could win a t-shirt where I pick review of the week. So please do get reviewing. And... Yeah, all terribly exciting. And I think we're going to do the new t-shirt design. So, yeah, very exciting. Now, just head over to my emails. We've had an agony uncle this week. Love the agony uncle, so please keep them coming. So let's kick off with one. Dear Chris, how did you know your husband would accept your feminine side? A rugby-looking guy. I am non-binary and I find it difficult, brackets, hurtful, when partners reject that part of me brackets which I am so proud and thankful for are lovely thanks for this message um very interesting a few things that come to my mind when I read that question how did you know your husband would accept your feminine side when he's a rugby looking guy so to be quite honest with you it's sort of chance I had reached a point in my life when I met him where I had definitely been carrying around a load of shame about being feminine. And in some ways, I didn't really think about it, but it was just sort of, that was my day to day. I was like, oh, you know, I don't like that side of myself. And one day I'll be something else. And then I'd hit 30 and I just thought, do you know what? Like, I'm not going to change. Like, I am going to be this forever and I had this memory of being a kid and looking at my mum talking to her friend when we were tiny little kids they were probably 30 ish and I was like two or three was I think it's my first memory and those people are exactly the same now as they were in that memory and they are now in their 70s and I was like well if you are what you are by 30 it's not going to change so I just need to I didn't think embrace who I am, interestingly. I just thought, you just need to go for what you want. And so when I met William, I would have previously gone, oh, you know, he's not going to fancy me because he's like a rugby boy and I'm really feminine. And I would go into it like I would already think I knew what the outcome was. I was like, fuck it, you know, go for it. And I suppose the crucial thing is he didn't reject my feminine side. I think it's actually one of the things that he loves 
and it was a one-two punch of like I didn't care but also he didn't reject me because he really liked me and therefore it was all quite straightforward also during that interim time during since then uh is what I'm trying to say I think the world has really opened up to the discussion about it's developed about being able to articulate things about like you know misogyny the hatred of the female in men in gay men how it's not right and how why do we hate the femininity in ourselves and why does society call it out so you know i feel resoundingly more comfortable with it it was never an issue for him but what i will say is that i definitely got rejected a lot prior to meeting william who is a lovely man by people who were doing that thing of policing each other for their femininity on the gay male scene because that's what happens you know no femmes is a thing that people write on their grinder profiles and i absolutely adore all kinds of femininity in myself and beyond i feel so lucky to be like this and you know i know that there are other versions of that to do with people in the lgbtq plus beyond spectrum about you know for trans people it's there can be this thing about passing for lesbians there can be a real misunderstanding about what masculine presenting is and what it means and you know please everyone who has had issues around this please write in and talk to us about them because i'd love to talk more about the specifics for each kind of gender policing that we do within the community and it's different for every letter of the lgbtq plus and i think that when when you say in your question i'm non-binary and i'm finding it difficult when partners reject that part of me which i'm so proud and thankful for then they're not right for you because if they're rejecting it in you aside from the fact that everyone's allowed to their taste can be their taste i think that there's a reason why it's a very common thing in the queer world is because it's considered less than femininity is considered less than masculinity and without putting too fine a point on it it's absolute bullshit and you are you and you are wonderful and it really if you're feeling rejection it's really important to know that they're rejecting something in themselves that they're scared of in themselves and therefore they don't want to see it outside they're scared that being feminine themselves makes them broken or wrong and that means they're not right for you it's sort of as simple as that um you're you'll find someone who adores it in you and i know william loved it about me it's never even been a discussion or a thought and a lot of people really find it attractive as they should and the one other thing he said he said oh how did you know your husband would accept your feminine side a rugby looking guy i.e my husband is a rugby looking guy interesting because two things i actually think the reason i found him attractive is because he looked like a rugby guy because of my own traumatic experience around being feminine and craving masculinity i think that is what set my the kind of people i was into but also you know also you just fall in love with who you fall in love with and i fell in love with william because he's a beautiful wonderful handsome kind man but being a rugby looking guy we all need to understand that just because someone looks rugby playing rugbyish it doesn't mean they don't have a feminine side and i think we as a society need to understand that that 
we've all got to do our bit and not projecting that very basic too simplistic term of like you know we all have femininity and masculinity within us just some people think it's not allowed to come out and rugby and sport and all of that can be one of those places i'm aware i'm talking slightly in general terms but it you know to be honest it's what ate me alive as a kid i just couldn't get my head around it and now i feel very very blessed that i'm through that and that only comes from self acceptance and going I think what I am is great. And someone put this thing on line the other day saying, you know, if you're different, it means you're a limited edition. And I love that. It's like you're limited edition. And people love limited editions. And if you're in any way different from the norm, that makes you limited edition. And we listeners, we're all limited editions in our own way because everybody is special and different in their own way. And the the very simple shortcut is that, you know, you got to learn to think that's what's great about you because what's different about you is what makes you great. Um, thank you very much for that agony, Uncle, and please keep them coming. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. It's always anonymous. Isn't our tagline always anonymous, always underinformed advice? What more could you ask for? Now, let's have a look at emails. Dan on Instagram has been in touch. I've just finished listening to the episode with Michael Cashman, and I am beyond inspired, exclamation mark. It was genuinely heartwarming to hear him acknowledge the parallels between what sort of slander gay people used to experience a lot more in the press and what trans people are overwhelmingly experiencing in the media today. It's so encouraging to hear queer people from senior generations to mine actually care about and be educated on trans rights and issues. That's really interesting, Dan, because I know exactly what you mean, that sometimes the older generations can be a bit like, oh, what's this now about like non-binary people and stuff? And no, 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 we're in this together. We are all, it's funny how quickly people forget what fight they went through. I really want to thank him for thinking beyond his own identity and rights and extending his activism and care to the broader LGBTQIA plus community. It often feels as though older queer people dismiss trans and non-binary people as a fad or a liability, when in fact we have been standing beside each other for so long, exactly. Our diversity is our strength, precisely. And hearing Michael Cashman champion that value makes me so much more hopeful as a young trans person today. I really strive to follow in his footsteps as an activist so that that doesn't compromise or settle once my personal needs have been met, but actually help every intersection of the queer community I possibly can. Thank you so much for this episode. Dan, thank you so much for your email and lovely to hear from you. And please continue your wonderful activism. We are in this together. Um, I went to the Gay Times Awards the other week and Munro Bergdorf won an award. She stood up and did this beautiful speech, Munro being the trans activist, and you know, she also was very honest about how her mental health has been suffering lately because the the battle feels insurmountable and we have to, have to, have to support in any way we can. And actually, if you go onto Munro's Instagram for Trans Awareness Week or Trans Day of Remembrance, she posted like eight accounts on Instagram that we can all follow to learn how to help and how to be better allies, I suppose. Have a look at that if you have the time and give it a follow. Maybe there'll be a donation situation somewhere. Do that. Let's all do our bit. And also offline as well. It's, you know, it's important to say it's not just online. Um, Jack Lopez got in touch about the Freddie McConnell episode. Hi, I'm a big gay trans parent myself, a lone parent, a single dad. I've somehow managed to keep alive 
a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old and a 7-year-old. So it's really nice listening to people who are just on the cusp of kind of still young parenthood or or yourself kind of soon going to hopefully have have a baby to look after. I just wanted to say, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> It'll all be fine. <laughs> don't put too much pressure on yourself. It's great. And I would like to say, you know, although I appreciate all the kind of learning into modern parenting, um, that I have never once read a single parenting book, blog, uh, watched a video or done anything of that sort. I've just figured it out for myself, mainly because I don't like the pressure that those books all of the resources put on you, but you know, each to their own. Um, but I would say I've had none of those things. I've just got my way through blindly and, and also that's been okay as well. And just finally on the, yeah, um, a whole health thing. I just, I just wanted to say that there are people like me who are um, queer academics who are researching LGBTQ healthcare and I'm actually just developing a project at the minute with colleagues at my institution in midwifery in nursing and in social work precisely to examine the curriculums of um, health and social care professionals and figure out how to make um, their training their practices um, more inclusive and to have a look at what the barriers and enablers are to that just waiting for somebody to actually agree to give me loads of money to be able to do it properly always here for the parenting advice if you need it oh jack what a lovely message thank you so much for getting in touch um you are very kind to take the time and isn't freddie great aren't you great now then um erica based in the usa Woo! we've gone international hi chris I started listening to your podcast a few months ago. Erica, thank you so much for listening. And it has taken me all this time to catch up to the present. Welcome to the present. I've just had a cup of coffee, Erica. I'm warning you. I'm finally only a week or two behind. I was listening and enjoying the episode about transparenting when Freddie McConnell used the term twat in a derogatory way. You laughed and didn't seem to notice the slur. As a cis lesbian, it struck me hard that you didn't notice using a term that has been used to debase women and lesbians for a long time. I like vaginas and vulvas, and I don't think using a slang term for them should be used as an insult. I wish you tried a bit harder to interview more L in LGBTQ+. After all, we are the first letter. Absolutely you are. We are a large and diverse community, and some of us older members, I'm 57, are feeling a little ignored... Erica, I apologise. My interview wish list would be Leah Delaria, Kate Clinton, Vashi Vaid, Janice Ian, Eric Marcus. I love Eric Marcus, making gay history podcast, Lesbian Her Stories Archives. I love her Lesbian Her Story Archives on Instagram. J.E.B. Joanne E. Byron, lesbian photojournalist. Erica, thank you for that message. I'm really sorry we upset you with that language. And um, I absolutely understand that it's really offensive I will be working harder to do better next time is all I can say about that. And interviewing more L in the LGBTQ+, absolutely understood. My job here is to try and show everybody from LGBTQIA+, and beyond. And we are always striving to do better. And we have got some great L's coming up, I will share with you. So that's in the bag, in the pipeline. But also, thank you for that list, because I would love to talk to people on that list. So thank you so, so much. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That's the end of emails. Thank you very much, listeners. Please get in touch. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com, at homosapiens on Instagram. We love it. We love it. The good, the bad, the whole shebang. Speaking of getting in touch, this week we asked for your opinions on Harry Styles' dazed cover shoot, which sort of broke the internet. And Harry has been wearing a lot of, you know, gender non-conforming clothing. I noticed it was dividing people, so I simply thought, let's hear more from you. Let's actually get a proper discussion about this. And I shared it with you all, and ooh la la, you came back with your comments. I mean, I'm scrolling through pages and pages of them. So basically, I just shared this this um dr ronks at dr ronks on instagram dr ronks is a non-binary doctor who presents operation ouch they are amazing and uh they shared an instagram post of their own saying i'm a bit bored about everyone congratulating harry styles on this as we know also billy porter shared that he thought it was bad that um Harry was getting undue congratulation, but then he actually later retracted the statements. I feel like I work at the BBC when I say stuff like that. Anyway, I shared with Dr. Ronks's comment with you and just said, what do you all think? So here we are. Clarissa here says she disagrees with what Dr. Ronks said about being bored. Disagree. Surely we stand for people expressing themselves diversely. It's so refreshing to see him thrive while upsetting the narrow-minded Suddenly queers in the gamut are united in disapproval? Question mark. Love, Harry. And then Ali said, I think we can't ignore the fact that he may be queer. I don't like him saying he wants to dispel the myth of the binary existence. Seems only a non-binary person should. But he has coded so much of what he has done as queer, such as the photo shoot with a banana and something else. He's probably queer. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? What Clarissa's saying about, you know surely we stand for people expressing themselves diversely yes uh we do and the kickback is that people think that he has so much privilege that he can walk around in a dress and not get any of the flack that a lot of our you know non-binary gender non-conforming trans other members of the family get when they walk down the high street and they wear a dress when they don't present as the absolute optimum of what society deems to be female. And it's all very, you know, well and good doing that in a, you know, lovely, cosy fashion environment. It's it's really interesting. That's what appears to be getting, that. that's what's getting up people's noses. Shotgun Indy says, where is Billy Porter? Oh, right, he is black and queer, not white and cishet. 
Bosey Boy says, just because he hasn't defined himself as queer publicly doesn't mean he isn't. What you decide to wear does and should not define your sexuality. Ace in the City, I kind of agree. Good to have outspoken allies, but really only just a lot of Tudor fashion. I do like HS. Do you mean Homo sapiens or Harry Styles there, Ace? Um, Rambo says, I was actually thinking this the other day, getting a bit tired of him, though he is still gorgeous. Good point. Well made, Rambo. He really is gorgeous. Um, do we really know, says Dreaming of Roker, if he is queer or not? Plus fluidity expressed by anyone helps us all. I have to say, I think that's a very good point. Craig F. Johnson says, surely we would want anyone to be able to express themselves regardless of how they identify. Ed says, it's still pretty queer and representation is important. It's great to see a man mixing it up. I agree. Mildly Welsh says, I think anyone who feels inclined to deviate from sexual or gender norm is queer. Fascinating point. Fascinating point. Mildly Welsh. Also, I think, you know, this seems to happen every, you know, x amount of time brad pitt did that whole thing where he wore a dress kurt cobain wore a dress you know remember tricky wore a dress on i think it was an album cover or maybe it was in a magazine but you know and there's always uproar and there's always comment and i'd love to see a time when it doesn't happen anymore you know how do we get there that's a long way away but i do know that like i used to wear dresses as a kid all the time and it wasn't just about being a boy wearing a dress I wanted to play the female role in things I grew up with loads of girls and they were like right so we're princesses you're a prince and I was like oh please don't make me be a prince I would always want to be a princess and if there'd been a few more visuals out there back then to say no lots of people do this I think it would have been helpful for me personally obviously there's other you know there's always so many other sides to these conversations which is why it's interesting Kind of agree, says Chris. Not that brave walking in a red carpet versus walking the streets of Croydon. Understood. Yep. He hasn't made a big queer statement. Doesn't that mean he isn't queer? Thomas says, bored. Okay, but also happy. Absolutely. I need cis man to do that to not be looked down upon. Fierce debate on either sides. Overwhelmingly, I'm going to say I feel like your comments were that it is a positive thing, but it's a thorny thing. And thank you so much for writing in and telling us all your thoughts on that. We want to hear from you. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Get in touch, stay in touch, follow us on Instagram. We've got shiny new Instagram, loads of brilliant cult, all your culture club suggestions are on there. We share amazing illustrators we love, we share news stories. It's all very exciting. Now, let's go and chat to Roisin. Roisin, of course, because she's glamorous, was in Ibiza, so the internet connection wasn't great, but the wonderful team here at Homo Sapiens have managed to zhuzh it up. So, without further ado, as they say, love, love, love this chat. Uh, Here's Roisin Murphy. Ibiza Wi-Fi, don't let us down. Isn't it weird that I could tell that you were in Ibiza just from, like, the light on your face yeah Do, why is that the only way you knew it just felt ibiza you look really relaxed as well you look really happy that says holiday i'm looking balearic to the bone it's weird ibiza isn't it because so my dad used to go there in the 60s right he was a fashion photographer but my dad was born in 1952 see uh, sorry not 1952 yes. 1932 Oh, Jesus, he's fair, he was fairly hardy when he had you, wasn't he? Yeah, so he was 50 when he had me. And he used to go to Ibiza when it was like hippie communes and stuff. But now it has all of that. But it also has this 
other whole thing, isn't it? Which is like the airport when you land, when I land on my EasyJet flight, there's 1,500 private jets all there. Yes, that's, that's, that happens in, in August lately, yeah. I mean, last year, not so much. I was here last year. It was a bit more J.G. Ballard last year in the summer, you know. It was a bit more like it was apocalyptic in a way and there was less people here and there was more police than there is this year so you can imagine it was actually quite quite like a J.G. Ballard book short story Um, and yeah and I like that I like that kind of well I like when I do kind of get off on times like this in a sense I think art people do, you know, creative people do get off on times where there's a lot of important kind of energy in the air, you know, where there's a lot of kind of feeling of change and um, all kinds of emotions at once at the moment. It's one of them times. Do you think that arty people also get off, and I'm talking about myself here, uh, on having less options, which is what COVID and coronavirus kind of did? I think in terms of creativity, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you have every single option in front of you, you can get completely lost and it's very helpful to have restrictions. Yeah. You know, in fairness, I I haven't felt restricted uh, for various reasons. I felt like, oh, you know, I this this part of me has opened up or this area of my life is available to me and I've been very lucky that way. Um I can write a song, I can sit down here with the Ableton and just I can do that anywhere now. And there's been all sorts of options open to me that have kept it very interesting and very vibrant. And actually, that's what I mean. It's a kind of vibrant moment, whether or not there's darkness and turmoil and it's very problematic. It's notwithstanding, you know, it's still kind of exciting and and anything can happen. Change could happen at any time. And there's all these elements, Mm. conflicting elements in the air that um, there's a lot to be creative about. Sure. And because I'm thinking about um, you did those amazing live sessions during, was it lockdown one or two? I can't remember now. In your house. I did a bit in both. In the first lockdown, um, I'd, I'd just come out of making like a one woman show thing for kind of clubs and warehouses and stuff. And it had loads of, co- you know, content on the screens behind me. The screens were mm. a big thing and climbing on the screen was a, it was a kind of an energy. And... That was already done just previous to lockdown one. All that was set and templated up against the music and stuff. So that was easy to throw into my living room and experiment with, with my lighting guy for a few tracks, mm. which I did. And then I came here to Ibiza and I did one here last summer in this house. And like a performance where I'm going around the house and I jump in the swimming pool and I'm singing so all good. the way. Uh, and and then I did one here as well in the winter because we got caught here in the winter type thing. We came in um, Christmas and the kids didn't need to go home from school, you know, because we that yeah. whole thing had locked down. So I had to do something for Irish television, I, I think, and um, we uh, we did a performance down in the garden 
under a tree with a couple of local guys who play beautiful Spanish guitar, I suppose, flamenco guitar. Mm. And I did some versions with them and I actually arrived on a tractor, which was rather fun. <laughs> a good way to come it really is <laughs> start singing well, it's sort of i i felt like and I tell me if i'm wrong but i felt like watching you do those pieces were like it's actually really avant-garde isn't it like it felt like it would you i felt like they wouldn't have existed if we hadn't been locked in our homes and you had to go a bit diy but i felt like it really fed into so many things you're brilliant at anyway and um it was just really exciting to watch i don't know it just felt mad in the best possible way but toya wilcox has ruined it for all of us now so nobody can beat that that's it now (laughs) so (laughs) i haven't done any i haven't done any for a while (laughs) (laughs) um roshid we we actually met once before and this is a nice story by the way and you were really kind to me Um, But when I was an intern in my very first ever job at MTV, um, I I was like 19, 19, and I, MTV was really disorganized. And um, I was told by the office I needed to go to Relic in Notting Hill, which is an amazing vintage store for anyone who doesn't know Notting Hill in London. And I was meeting you to do your favourite vintage clothes. And I was, they sent me on my own. I'd never done anything before. I'd never filmed anything. Oh, God, yeah. Um, And I was terrified. Anyway, so I turned up with my camera to meet you. And um, I had to film you doing, trying on all these clothes you liked and stuff. And like, no one had even told me what to do or what I was supposed to be, what clothes we were doing or any of it. And so I had to make it up on the spot. But you were very, very kind to me, to this kid who clearly didn't know what he was doing. Um, Yeah, I don't know if you ever remember doing those things for MTV. I I probably clearly didn't know what I was doing either, you know. (laughs) What the hell any of us were doing there, to be honest. (laughs) Is Relic, that store, still around? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's still great. Um, So Relic, for anyone who doesn't know, is this amazing vintage store run by what's the guy's name well steve uh, but he's actually set up his own thing now in in much more kind of like you know you have to make appointments and stuff with steve now down in brighton amazing collection that he's got he's got an extremely important collection of clothes especially of, sort of seditionary Vivian westwood and stuff like that that's how he started he was selling that only you know on um on Portobello Market years ago. And I remember going up and say, oh, how much for the T-shirt? And he said something like 300 quid. And me going, what? <laughs> and he almost like shouting me down the road. What are you talking about? <laughs> but he's right, you know, I should have bought it all. Because probably worth yeah, about 10 right. times as much now. Sort of related to that, like relic and all those clothes and things. And were you someone who dressed kind of wild when you were really young? Or is that something that sort of came out of being older and clubbing and all of that? I dressed up since as far back as I can remember. I remember finding one black stocking when I was about three or four years of age and prancing around in that and having a funny feeling. Um, I remember stealing my everything that was belonged to my Auntie Linda, who was like a hoarder and had been a beauty queen in the 60s. And she had 
everything. She had kept everything, all the crowns and the dresses and the sashes and the shoes. She had tiny little feet. And I used to prance around in the Arklow town in her wedding dress. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was an exhibitionist, I guess, and uh, I dressed up and sat in the window and dressed the window of my bedroom, which was, we were on a kind of main road from Dublin down to south of Ireland, very south of Ireland. And so you'd have lots of holiday makers going backwards and forwards in the summer, and I'd sit there all dressed up and wave at them. And so, yeah, I, I always say, I'm a, Purely, I own that. I'm an exhibitionist, but it, it's a. It is about making the exhibition. It isn't um, a terribly egotistical thing, honestly. It really is about making something and seeing it work and making joy and and communicating. Mm. How was that received by the local community? I didn't really care what other other people thought, to be honest, and other people didn't think. A very great deal of it. My parents didn't really notice <laughs> or make a big deal out of it or, you know, try and send me to some stage school or anything like that. Nothing whatsoever was done about it. But I just did it. And I still just do it in a way. It's, it's not terribly serious, what that part of what I do. And it's not terribly essential either. I think really what has always been very essential is that I get the music right in the work part of what I do and then I can have fun with the other bits you know the ex- the exhibitionism the making of the exhibition the making of the show the image or the video the performance and what I'm saying to people and also uh, you know I'm a natural kind of actress and that's in me and I've allowed it some space in areas that aren't being an actress actor you're not allowed to say actress anymore but you know, mm. I'm an actress. <laughs> I'm always interested in the person who, how that is that is encouraged from a young age. No, no, they. My my parents didn't tell me you're amazing. You know, I definitely didn't have the kind of parents who who thought everything I did was right. The opposite actually could be said. Certainly of my mother. You know, it was always us. It was always me and Sean. You know, she wasn't the kind of mother that went to other mothers and went, you know, your children have been a bad, what's it, what do you usually say about kids, bad example to my children. It was hmm. always the opposite. It was always your fault. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's not that, but kind of like, but kind of that also is, you know, is good. It's healthy that because it's infantilizing to always say it's somebody else's fault. Absolutely. It doesn't. Um, make a child confident, does it? To say, oh, it, well, you know, you got into that situation blindly, somebody led you there, it wasn't your fault. You know, I think we were given at least the respect that we could have got ourselves into our own trouble. <laughs> your mum sounds amazing because she found two Dutch masters, didn't she? Because she was an antiques dealer, right? She did. Well, my father found them. Clearing out some pub that he was re- that he was doing up because that's what he did. My dad he did building and um, renovations and doing up pubs. Oh, right. Yeah, he did up most of the pubs in that part of Ireland. Honestly, at a certain point, all the pubs went from like you know hard stools and you know uh, chippings on the floor to uh, seats that were fitted into the into the pub and a bit of comfort mm. and whatnot. You know, so he did he did that. 
Um, and he was clearing out a big, big old place to do it up and found these paintings and the guy sold him all, a lorry load of stuff. And my mum found the paintings in amongst all the other antiques and this and that that, were bought, that was bought. And um, she knew they were good. But there's a whole story. I mean, it's like you could put it into a sort of, um, into a movie, really, the whole story of it. People climbing in our windows, trying to take it, that had done deals with my father in the pub to buy them. My mum stopping them in the window, you know, slamming the sash window down on their hands. <laughs> You can't have them paintings. Are you being serious? No, honestly. And then my dad nearly sold them again. And then she was like, my nana had to step in. And then they went to, eventually they went to Dublin with them. And the people in Dublin didn't know what they were. And they were very dirty. Everyone in Dublin said, you'll have to go to London to find out exactly what they are. They went to London. They found out that they were Dutch masters. And then they put them into a sale in Christie's that was just only for Dutch masters of sale. And we have the catalogue with my mother's name in amongst all Lord so-and-so and lady such-and-such. And then, you know, this, this, these two landscapes, Rose, Rose Murphy. Wow. It's a sale. But Jesus, you know, obviously they made really good money. They made the maximum money they could have made. It's not often... You could say that on something, but uh, they did in that moment. And, um, but they should have held on to them. (laughs) That's always the thing, isn't it? But in some respects, I think in a way it's nice that it was in the moment. Oh, they had a fantastic time. I'm telling you, they spent it all, you know, living the high life basically in London. Really? Oh God, yeah. That's the end of part one. Loving this chat with Roisin. What a delight she is. Part two coming right up. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.